It's a great song for us to sing as we come to our time in the Word. It gives a New Testament perspective on parts of what we will consider from an Old Testament text this evening. I invite you to take your Bibles and go with me back to the Psalms. As I briefly mentioned this morning, it's been a while since we've been in the Psalms. We'll cover a few more in the weeks ahead and then probably wrap things up. Uh, But I want to take you to Psalm 123 this evening. So you take your Bibles and go with me there, Psalm 123. There's an ageless debate that uh, probably all of you are well familiar with. If you take a glass and you begin to pour water into that glass about 50% of the way, all of a sudden much speculation occurs. And along with that speculation, we've even gotten to the point where evidently there's personality analysis that needs to be done. Uh, I was very tempted to bring an object lesson with me tonight and set it up there and just start to ask how many of you view it this way, how many of you view it that way, and we start to say optimist or pessimist or don't you understand and are you all kinds of position because evidently our perspective matters even on something as inconsequential as a glass that is 50% occupied with water. Got to choose my words carefully. Um, That stands out in my mind because I saw something recently that I thought, no, that's the right perspective because it said, well, there's this debate that rages as to whether uh, the glass is half full or half empty. They miss the point. The glass is refillable. I thought, that's true. Perspective matters, but action helps. To go, yeah, you can debate, it's it's empty, it's full, it's like, you know what, we can solve this problem. Let's just fill it all the way up, and then it's all good, right? The text we're going to look at this evening in Psalm 123 reminds us as we go through life that what we look at and how we look at it and even how we respond all matters. It is so easy for us in life to forget the truths that are so simple found in this text. And to get into our schedule Monday morning, tomorrow, and we walked out of church on Sunday going, yeah, you know what, I I need to think rightly. I I need to run to Christ. I, I need to trust in the Lord. And there is eternal life ahead, as we talked about this morning. And yet problems come, and all of a sudden, our, our focus is immediately on the here and now, and we're consumed with it, and we're thrown off. And we begin to realize, man, I am prone to wonder. It is so easy for me to get my perspective off. And I hope as we look at the four verses of this simple psalm this evening, we are challenged as to where we look for help and what we ask for. Those are really the two simple points that are outlined. I'm going to use them as questions in hopes that we can kind of self-apply the text this evening When we look at the first two verses, I want us to ask this question, so where do you look for help? Because if we're honest, there's all kinds of answers to that question. Some of them God-ordained answers that are good and wonderful things. Others of them, self-reliant, perhaps despairing, other places that we go. And then secondly, when we get to verses three and four near the end of our time to go, so what do you ask for when you need help? What are you looking for? How do you define what help is as we work our way through this psalm? Let me go ahead and read the psalm for us before we work our way through it. He says in verse 1, Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. 
Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hands of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Again, if you remember with me, this is one of the pilgrim psalms. We've looked at a number of them now from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, the psalms that sometimes are titled Psalms of Ascent or uh, my Bible has a titled Song of Degrees. It's all the same idea of here are the worship songs that Israel would use to make their three trips to Jerusalem to celebrate the different feasts. And Israel's looking as a people who's been persecuted, perhaps even at risk along the way in their journey, and they're saying, hey, all these problems are out there, but God, I am looking to you. God, I am asking you to work. Certainly, it almost goes without saying, but the problems in our day often look very different than they would have in their day. We're not leaving our home wondering if our crops are going to make it. Okay, We're not generally concerned as we travel to go, are there thieves that are waiting in the hills to come in to get us? Okay, But nonetheless, we face different circumstances, different challenges, different problems that at times consume our vision. And this psalm, this psalm still gives us the right answer. So verses 1 and 2, we ask the question, where do you look for your help? Again, could be, well, you know what? I run to my phone. I'm, I'm going to look it up. I've got this really good friend. Praise God for good friends. I, I've got family that I can go to over here. Praise the Lord for family. You know what? We're just going to get through this. I mean, we've been through so much, and I, I'm just, I, I, I've been kind of toughened and steeled over time. I'm going to just plow through, and we kind of look to ourselves. I hope we find instruction to see this from the psalmist here as he says, you know what, I, God, I have to look to you. I want to make a few observations about the psalmist and what he looks at from verses 1 and 2. Notice with me at the start of verse 1 that the psalmist acts intentionally. The psalmist acts intentionally. He says, unto thee lift up by mine eyes, O that thou dwellest in the heavens. He says, God, I am choosing to take my eyes and lift them above what I see right here and now and focus them on you. God, I am specifically intentionally looking at you. And I think for us, so often when we come to difficult things, it's not so much that we've intentionally been saying, God, I'm just going to look at you, I'm going to watch you, but it becomes this sort of reaction. Or if it's even worse, there's just no reaction at all. It's like, no, we'll get through this, we'll figure this out, or here we go again. I'm just resigned that this is how life is going to work. We would do well to follow the example, the decision, the commitment, if you will, of the psalmist. Say, God, I'm going to choose to focus on you and what I'm going through. Again, I certainly can't know what everybody in this room is going through right now or certainly can't know what this week holds. But to go, you know what, as we walk through the days ahead, to go, God, I want you to be my focus. I want you to lift my eyes to you, to your character that is part of the benefit of us gathering within God's plan on Sundays to worship together, to look at God's word together, to try to be an encouragement to one another. Go, you know what? Beyond all the other details of life, God, let's just take this time and focus on you. 
on your worthiness to worship, on why I should run to Jesus Christ, whether I'm being stalked by sin or I'm finding that life is just overwhelming and I need a refuge. God, I need you to lift my eyes to you. The psalmist here very intentionally chooses to say, God, I'm looking at you. Again, I'd ask you that question, so where do you look? Problems happen. Is your first response, even as we were challenged, I was challenged with the text this morning, go, God, I'm going to pray. God, I'm going to turn, I mean, you've given eternal life by belief in your son. You've told me that I can have confidence in asking and praying according to your will, so God, I'm turning to you. The psalmist here says, God, I'm looking at you, and he acts very intentionally in doing so. Almost again goes without saying, but secondly, the psalmist not only acts intentionally, he acts dependently. God, this is unto you, and he focuses his attention on God and his dependent relationship to him. God, I'm relying on you. God, I just want you to know, I am counting on you. You ever been there where someone's counting on you? Uh, spent some time, as many, well, probably all of you know, on vacation a couple weeks back and was up with my brother for a while and uh, they're there getting ready for dinner. Flegels were coming over. We were going to all be together, which is kind of cool, kind of fun up there. And a church member comes by from their church. It's, I guess a little different here. Maybe he's just different than I am as a pastor. And he's like, Pastor, Pastor James. And this young man's probably 20. And he's like, I can't get the tire off my car. And I'm working on brakes. And da 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 da. And like, James is going to go help, except James is cooking. I'm like, oh, that's fine. I'll go over there and do that. We didn't get the tire off. Finish that story real quick. Uh, but he's like, you know, hey, I, I, I got help. And all of a sudden, you know, James feels this obligation. He can't go, so I'm going to go. I end up not being enough help um, along the way. But you go, you know, someone's counting on you. They're asking you for help. And it's kind of a simple, dumb illustration. But it's like, man, I wish I could have helped the guy. But I couldn't, right? No matter what, that lug nut was stripped completely. When people count on us, when they rely on us, we want to come through. Sometimes we feel guilty, we feel bad when we don't. But you know, with God, when we say, God, it's unto you that I lift my eyes. God, I'm counting on you. I'm looking at you. I'm watching you. He is in no way overwhelmed by that. He's not intimidated. He's not pressured. He doesn't let us down. We're putting our faith in the right place when we are leaning on him. The psalmist acts intentionally. He speaks dependently. But third, one of the thoughts that jumps out to me the most in the psalm is this one. He looks transcendently. He looks transcendently. He says, God, thou that dwellest in heavens. God, I'm lifting my eyes to you. And we're kind of pointed to both where he's looking and who he's looking to, right? I mean, the where is probably secondary, but it's the way we've oriented our point to go, God, I'm looking up into the heavens where you are. It's beyond the here and now. Because it is so easy for us, whether it's the pace of life and its busyness, whether it's the pressures or problems of life that come in, uh, where it's so easy for us to kind of get locked in tunnel vision. Especially if like, you're a problem solver by nature, like, okay, so what do we need to do? And we're just diving in. Well, what are the details? Let me ask about that. Let me find this. And we're starting to work through it and plow through it instead of stopping and saying, God, I need to think about you. I need to direct my mind to you. God, how do you want me to respond? What do you want to see done here? God, I need your grace. God, I need your help. And so I think it's very instructive for us as the psalmist looks transcendently to go, God, I am looking up to the heavens. That's where I am. But even more important again, it's who I'm looking to. God, that's where you dwell. 
That's where you dwell. That's where you live, right? He's above all the mess here. And yet he does delight in helping us in what's going on here. And because he dwells there, he's the God of all creation, the God of all ability. He can sovereignly reach in and impact every detail here that we're facing. We won't take the time to turn, and I encourage you to jot it down, or you can look on your own even as I talk, but even in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, we're told we have this high priest, seeing then that we have this great high priest who is passed into the heavens. And then we're told to draw near with this heart full of assurance and faith and to begin to go, you know what, I can pray, I can come boldly before the throne of grace. It's interesting to me in that same kind of idea in that text, we're told, you have a great high priest, and where is he? He's in the heavens. He dwells where God dwells because he is God. He's above all that we're going through right now. You know, again, it's like we're in that maze of life, and we can't see our way out, and we're kind of just getting frustrated, hitting dead end after dead end after dead end, and yet God is above all. We can talk to him, lift our eyes to him, and say, God, I am looking at you to direct to guide. You are all-knowing. You are all-wise. You uh, are faithful to me. And so, God, I'm looking to you. If we think about, I run to Christ, the truth of this text, we could also think about the words of an older hymn that just says, O soul, are you wearied and troubled? What's the instruction? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. The psalmist here is saying, you know, with what we're going through, with what I'm going through, I am choosing to look to my God who dwells and lives in the heavens. So again, I just ask you, what are you looking at? I alluded to this earlier. I think my propensity to be look at the problem itself and to begin to assess and analyze the problem. And, you know, what's solvable in the problem? What seems impossible in the problem? Or, frankly, at times, what do I need to complain about with the problem? Right now? Really? I mean, the timing of this couldn't be any worse. Another one? Instead of saying, Lord, I'm looking to you, because right now, frankly, I feel overwhelmed. God, I, I don't, I can't. Sometimes we're just focused on ourselves and going, I can't do this. I don't have the ability. Here's the resources I have. Instead of saying, God, I'm going to choose to look to you. The psalmist looks or acts intentionally. He speaks dependently. He looks transcendently. Fourth, the psalmist waits submissively. The psalmist waits submissively. As we work, look through this thought in verse 2, we're going to break it down two ways. One is he waits submissively. You'll notice that he does so in the position of a humble servant. He does so in the position of a humble servant. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their master, as the eyes of maidens under the hand of her, her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. We return to the same idea of dependence that we touched on a moment ago, but I think it's worth highlighting in the illustration of verse 2 because it's communicated with even greater humility. It's not just a peer, which would be inappropriate anyway, going, well, God, I, I just want you to know I'm counting on you. He's like, just like a servant looks to the one who is their master, their leader. God, I in humility and dependence am looking to you. I need you to direct. I need you to give your next instruction so that I know what to do. God, I need you to guide so that I can submit to your plan. 
again, I find that thought, the illustration that's used here helpful because we live in such a self-oriented, autonomy-driven kind of culture. We go, well, I'll figure it out. I'll overcome. I have my thoughts. I, I, I know what I'm going to do. Instead of realizing, no, Lord, I, I just need to submit to you. I need to know what your plans are. I am but your servant. The psalmist waits submissively. He does so in the position of a humble servant. But at the end of verse 2, he does so secondly with patience for God's mercy. He does so with patience for God's mercy. Our eyes are waiting upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. There's so much packed into this little phrase to think, number one, he's looking to Jehovah. God is a servant to the master, so I am waiting on you, Jehovah, for your answer of mercy. This self-existent one who created all, needs nothing, committed himself to his people Israel as the great I am, is the one that the psalmist looks to. He has infinite resources and says, I am looking to you to work patiently. Even the idea of the verb there is an ongoing way, like, God, I'm just going to keep waiting. I'm just going to keep waiting. We live in a culture that does not like to wait, right? To go, hey, let's keep this moving. What's the next thing? We're, we're trying to figure out how do we solve problems. We don't want to fall behind. And yet, there are so many wonderful spiritual lessons in life where God says, you know what? I want you to keep trusting. I want you to keep believing. I want you to keep looking to me, but wait. And continue to wait. And continue to wait. In submitting to God's plan, whatever that may be, how long is worth waiting? Like in our minds, intellectually, conceptually, theologically, we're going, well, however long it takes, it's okay. And then practically, we're like, Lord, I prayed this week. God, life's been really hard for this long. We do want to be challenged by the psalmist to go, God, I am going to keep waiting on you. Particularly here, he says, God, I'm waiting for your mercy. I want your mercy upon us. This word mercy is kind of a cross between the idea of uh, God's mercy and his grace. It's, God, I want your favor that I don't deserve. It's, it's not the typical word we've hit many times in our study of Psalms. Has said it's not that word this time. But he's saying, God, I just want your favor. I want your grace. That's what I need right now. Which is exactly what leads into our second thought in the second half of the psalm. We've been asking the question, so where do you look for your help? But secondly, what do you ask for? What do you ask for? Okay, I'm supposed to look to God. He's above all. He's the I am. He's transcendent. I'm supposed to be as a servant, so I'm going to look to him. But God, here's what I'm asking for. And Again, there are lots of biblically right answers, but I think the one in the psalm is particularly helpful here. Before we get to his request, I want to kind of do what we don't often do and jump to the end and then come back. So look at the end of verse 3 into verse 4 before we look at the beginning of verse 3. Is the end of verse 3 and verse 4 give us his reality. Here's what he's dealing with. We are exceedingly filled with contempt. 
Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. So God, we're facing scorn. It's persistent. It doesn't stop. Others are mocking us. Again, it's different in our day, but I think we can understand. We live in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. You believe what? You went where yesterday? Twice? You're one of those? Are you crazy? That's so outdated. It's just a bunch of made-up stories. And we have people that will deride and scorn our faith. The psalmist is facing that. If I were to say it in modern language, I would say it this way. He's tired of it. And not like fed up, tired of it, where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do something. I'm going to lash out. He said, God, I'm looking to you to solve this because I've had enough. And if you didn't catch it in the psalm to prove that he's had enough, he said it twice. And he kind of emphasized it in the way that he said it. So again, you look at it in verse 3. He says, we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Like, again, just bear with me and think about those words for a moment. Like, we'll often talk about Thanksgiving and, man, we're full. We ate a big meal. Like, man, we're packed. You can use whatever illustration you want. But he doesn't just say, we're full of their scorn. Like, we've had it. We're filled up. He, he like, emphasizes it, inspired by the Spirit of God. We're incredibly full of this. It's more than enough. We're exceedingly filled with all of this scorn and contempt. But he picks up in verse 4 and highlights it even more. To go, our soul is exceedingly filled of the scorn of those that are at ease. This is a little bit akin to what we read in a much more extended way in Psalm 73. To go, God, they got it easy. Life seems good for them. And they're mocking us. Again, what's the context of Psalm 123? They're on their way to Jerusalem to obey God, to celebrate one of the three feasts in worship of Jehovah. It's like, God, they're mocking us as we go to do what's right. And life is good for them. I don't know how that sits with you when you face those kinds of situations in life. But so often for me, it's like, you know what? Fine. And kind of the flesh starts to creep in because you've had it. And yet that's where the psalmist is so instructive for us. And it doesn't matter situationally if we're facing scorn or ridicule, whether it's at work or with neighbors or with family members, or it's just simply the circumstances of life have beat us up to the point where it's like, God, I don't know that I can handle this anymore. The psalmist's response still is instructive to us to go, God, I'm lifting my eyes to you. I'm not going to keep my eyes on the circumstances here and complain about them and uh, just look at all the challenges that they bring with a selfish perspective. God, I'm going to look it up to you. Again, if you're following the church's Bible reading plan this year, we've come through Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and you read through, like you read about Sambal and Tobiah. That doesn't sound like much fun. They're already doing what's impossible in Nehemiah going to build this wall, right? 52 days, I think. They're going to build this wall. It's impossible. And now as they're building, they're going to hold a weapon for a little while and build at the same time? This is crazy. There are those who stand against God. 
you come out of that, and if, again, if you're following the church poverty, we're in Job. Principle certainly applies there as well. So that's the psalmist reality. But very simply, as we reach the end of our time, I want us to look at his request at the beginning of verse 3. God, I'm looking to you. I'm doing it dependently, transcendently. Uh, God, I'm doing this very intentionally to look at you. I'm doing it submissively as a servant. Here's what's going on in my life right now, God, but here's my request. We know the words. We've already touched them briefly, but let me just stop before we dive in and say, so what would your request be? There's a lot of right answers, I think. And for some of us, if we were in the psalmist exact situation where we're saying, I'm exceedingly full of their contempt, my soul is filled exceedingly, we'd come around and go, okay, where's one of those imprecatory psalms? Okay, Lord, deal with this. You know, like Elijah, deal with this? Like, deal with it. Like, are there any bears around? Fire from heaven? Um, like, God, we know that you've done some amazing things. There are these people in scorn. And yet that's not what Elijah, or not what Elijah, that's not what the psalmist, just seeing if you're awake, I guess. It's not what the psalmist asked for here. It's not saying, God, give me relief. It's saying, God, just give me your grace. Give me your mercy. Simple words at the beginning of verse 3, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. He's already said, end of verse 2 that we looked at just a moment ago, we're as these servants, God, we're waiting patiently, and what we desire from you is mercy. But now we hear him articulated in a simple prayer to say, God, we need your favor. God, we need your grace. That which we don't deserve is what we need. I find it even interesting within the psalm that it's not spelled out. What would God's favor here look like? Could it be relief? Sure. But that's not exactly what he prays for. Could it be strength? Sure. But that's not what he prays for. Could it just be this sense of endurance? Sure. But he starts with this theological prayer to say, God, would you just give me grace? Whatever that looks like, would you give me mercy? Whatever that means within your will. Once again, he prays to Jehovah, the one who needs nothing, to say, Lord, would you do this? And even as you listen to him pray, you hear him articulate the prayer twice. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy. Again, maybe life's going well. Maybe the problems in life right now for you are actually relatively small. They're there, and you know they're there, but they're not overwhelming. It's certainly been worse before. Or maybe you find yourself in the deep end and you're like, I'm there. Realize wherever we fall on that, wherever we fall, we would do well to say, God, I'm looking at you. I want my focus to be on you. God, I'm asking that you would give me grace as I walk into life this week, whether it's at home with my family, whether it's all by myself, whether it's at work. God, I just need your favor. I'm looking to you. I'm doing it submitted to you as a servant of yours. So God, would you in your time, in your way, show mercy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the 
truth in this short psalm that you've used to challenge and encourage me in preparation for this evening. Lord, I pray that you would take these words and work in each individual's heart, that our focus heading into the week would be to lift our eyes beyond the immediate circumstances and focus on you, trusting you, submitted to you as the one who does dwell in the heavens, submitted to you as servants of yours to do whatever you've called us to. But Lord, we do so dependent on your grace, dependent on your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you do hear our prayers and answer. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 